morning, Southwest Christian High School. Welcome to Encounter. I want to bring you into this space um, and invite God's presence with us. So, you're in for a treat today. I'm going to uh, do a couple things. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce to you our speaker, uh, Dr. Bill Kuhn. Dr. Bill Kuhn is the Vice President of Student Development at Crown College, and he's the campus chaplain. And Bill and I got to be colleagues uh, for 10 years when I was there at the college. And uh, he's ministered to a ton of folks, and I am uh, super pumped that he's here with us today because I do think that God's going to use him to minister to you. Um, so give a good listen. Give a real good listen uh, to what Bill, what God's going to use uh, in and through Bill to share um, his word. He's, he's a great guy. He's a great man of God, and he's ministered to those students greatly. And he plays a mean electric guitar. So he might take it from you, Grant. Be careful. Um, secondly, uh, I'm really excited to see a worship band behind me. Um, now, with that, we're going to be blessed by that music. But given our circumstances and our conditions today, um, we're going to listen. We're going to worship through listening, uh, reflect on the words, and um, may it be a prelude to our call to worship this morning. Um, but given our circumstances, I don't believe that we have the freedom to sing today, but um, singing your hearts. Okay, so really excited. Thank you for the leadership of this group and uh, what you're going to do. Um, so when Dr. Kuhn comes up, give him a great, warm Southwest welcome, um, and thank you for your attention this morning. Um, God be praised. Hey, so uh, give it up for the worship team, right? Give it up for them. Uh Man, I've been around worship ministry for many years, and it's always, you know, difficult the first time a team gets together and, and uh, you know, lead us in worship. So uh, kudos. Thanks, team. Looking forward to your ministry throughout the year. As said, my name is Bill. I work at Crown College, and I know that we've got some Crown College students, people who are taking classes through Crown in some capacity. Are you out there at all? Are any of you? Yeah, okay, I see a few hands. All right, welcome. Good to have you here as well. And uh, if you have questions about Crown College, talk to one of those students that raised their hand, all right? That'll be great. Well, how many of you today arrived in this space with an intention to hear from God? Wouldn't that be amazing if God spoke to us today? If He had something that He wanted to say to you, wherever you are, whatever your relationship is like with God, that he would actually want to say something specific to you today. That's what I believe. And if we don't believe that, then maybe we don't need to gather, right? But we gather with intention that God's voice might be heard by his people. And I trust that today as we open up his word, as we explore what he has for us, God might speak. So it's with that in mind that I'm going to invite you to close your eyes with me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to do that very thing among us. So we pray with me. Father, the song that we just sang implores us to lay down our burdens, lay down our shame, and come as we are. And that's what we do at this time. We come before the God, maker of the universe, and we bring all our burdens to you. You know what they are, Lord. 
And we know that your shoulders are wide enough to bear every burden of every person in this room. So God, take up those burdens. Lighten the load. Extend peace and hope to every person here. And today, God, it is our deepest heart's cry that you might speak to us. That whatever those burdens are, you might have something in store for us that might encourage us and exhort us and and might move us a few steps forward with you. Let that be the case today. Help me to hide. Let Jesus be seen. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, the healthy human brain is a very complex organ. The study of the brain and the disciplines associated with study of the brain are an ever-widening wonder. Scientists in many fields now are taking up the study of the brain as it relates to issues like the brain and time, the brain and pain, the brain and movement, the brain and culture, the brain and spirituality. So here's what we know about the average healthy human brain. The average healthy human brain contains 100 billion neurons. A hundred billion neurons, these little microscopic cells, a hundred billion of them in the brain, and each one of those cells has 10,000 synapses, tentacles that reach out from each of those cells that then connect with other cells, joined together in this complex network that transmits information at extraordinary speed from one cell to the other, there are 125 trillion synapses in the cerebral cortex alone. And these cells are constantly exchanging information. It gets even more complex than that, believe it or not. Each one of those data points, each one of those, as the data information is exchanged from one cell and it enters into that other cell, In that little microscopic neuron, that that information has 20,000 possible directions it goes in each one of the cells. The intensity of the neural network is beyond astronomical. Beyond astronomical. That's quite a claim, right? You might say to me, that's quite a claim. Well, consider this. What does all this mean? It means that the total possible signal pathways in the brain exceeds 10 to the 80th power. That's 10 with 80 zeros following it. This amounts to not only more than, well, follow me, that amounts to more than not only all the stars in the universe, but more than all the particles in the universe. This three to four pound mass between the ears is supra cosmic. It is beyond astronomical. 
scientists and are still trying to decide how much memory is stored in the average healthy human brain. One has estimated that the storage capacity in the brain, the adult brain, is the equivalent of running a digital recorder of a television program for 300 years continuously. Again, it's beyond astronomical. Now here's what that means for us. It means that the brain has the capacity to imagine the universe in forms of light years that where time actually bends. It means that we have the capacity to compose a symphonic uh, arrangement of music that is beautiful. It means that we have the capacity to also know our creator like no other crea- creature. See, the brain is capable of capturing and storing and recalling every single message for years. That's the good news. The bad news is the brain has the capacity to capture and store and recall messages for years. Now, that would be okay, right? If the messages that we received in life were positive messages. But I don't know about your experience, but from the experience of my own life and the many others that I've talked to, the messages that we receive about ourselves are not always positive. And people, even people close to us, can be extremely unkind leaving scars that aren't easily forgotten. They're not tucked away beyond recovery. No, in fact, our brain is not broken at all. (laughs) It's hyperactive and hyper-capable of retrieving every one of those individual messages that have come to us throughout the years, critical messages, unfavorable messages, negative messages, And at some point, you you start to believe those messages, this barrage in our minds that say things to us like, you're not smart. What were you thinking? And I want you to know I have worked with hundreds of college students in the last 15 years. And I can't tell you the number of students who have sat in my office or we've taken a walk, and they've said to me, Man, I remember talking to my dad about going into music for my career and my dad saying to me, why would you ever waste your life in that? And here's a young person trying to discover and discern what God has for them in their trajectory of their life and yet all they hear is this repeated message, why would you waste your life on that? Scientists tell us that for every negative comment we receive, we need about five positive comments. Again, I don't know what your life's like, but I don't get five positive comments for every negative. And slowly but surely, we begin to believe that we are little more than the accumulation of all of those negative comments. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You know what? You're not pretty enough. You know what I heard this week? 
that now young people, teenagers, are beginning to ask for cosmetic surgery because they want their bodies and their faces to look like the images that they're posting on Instagram and TikTok. Why? Because you're not pretty enough. And we begin to compare ourselves with one another, and we say, my hair's not as good as that person's hair, and I don't run as fast as that person, and I don't seem to be as smart as that person. And we have this collective message, and the, this beyond astronomical brain stores all of that information, and then one little slip-up of our lives, and it triggers that impulse, then it fires through the brain, and suddenly it explodes on our mind, and it reminds us, oh yeah, that's right, I'm not good enough. Then we begin to think, maybe I'm not good enough. And maybe all those messages that I've received, those negative messages are true. One of the primary ways that people address this in their lives is through perfectionism. The belief that we can do enough to counter all those recorded messages in our brains that we're not good enough. That we push to overcome those messages, to prove the messages wrong. You see, if, if I could succeed, if I could get an A in every class, then I'm clearly I'm not smart or I'm not dumb, clearly. If I could run faster than the other person, then I'm good enough. And so we begin this whole process of pursuing perfection one step after the other and after a while it becomes this crippling malady to prove my worth and that works for a while until that one little slip up that one little mistake that one little oops that one little critical message and it triggers that impulse in the brain and the brain does its very fine work and reminds us, oh yeah, I've heard that message before. I've heard it multiple times and guess what? That must be true. I am not good enough. In spite of all my work, in spite of all my effort, I'm not good enough. My guess is that as you're listening to me talk, you can recall a message or two or an event or two that you, re you replay sometimes on infinite repeat that says, I'm not good enough. I don't fit. I don't belong. I know something about that story. That's my story. When I was uh, probably six or seven years old, I was playing ball in the front yard with my older cousins. They were three or four years older than me. And the ball came to me, and I could not catch it. And it hit me, and it hurt. And I remember kind of buckling down and crying. And, and as I began to cry, my cousins began to laugh. Now, that's one thing, and, you know, other people have had stories of 
cousins that are sometimes cruel. But standing alongside of my cousins was my dad, who also began to laugh. And in the shame of that moment, I ran inside my house, and my dad didn't. And so began a journey for me of wondering if my dad really cares about me. And began a journey of trying to prove to my dad that I am worthy of his love. Along the way of my own journey, I stumbled across a couple Bible, uh, a sentence, little verse tucked away in the early chapters of the Gospels that has become an, a bit of inspiration, a kind of a rebuilding verse for me, and I want to share it with you today. Maybe some background on the life of Jesus before I get to this particular verse. You know, most of Jesus' early years are, are in obscurity. Only a few instances do we even hear about Jesus. At his birth, certainly, in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we have this little incident when Jesus is 12, he's at the temple doing his father's business in his father's house, he says. And then the, from age 12 to about age 30, we hear nothing about Jesus. He's obscure, we don't know what he's doing, we presume he's working the family business. And at one particular time, around age 30, Jesus is going to come out and he's going to begin his public ministry. This is the moment that's going to inaugurate the king on our earth. And the king is going to experience intense uh, battle, spiritual battle. He's going to have moments in his ministry where his family don't understand him. He's going to have lonely moments, the scripture says. He's going to have conflict with the religious leaders. Jesus is going to have friends who betray him and deny him and scatter at the moment of his greatest need. And in that context, as Jesus is to be inaugurated into this public ministry for three years on his way to the cross, the Father in heaven, check it out, he has one sentence to say to Jesus to get him through all of that three years. It only takes the Father one sentence to prepare Jesus for his life and ministry. As Jesus is being baptized in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus goes down into the water. As he's coming up out of the water, the scripture in several different places inform us of what the Father in heaven is saying to his Son. And these are the words that the Father says to his children says to Jesus these words, You are my son, whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. In one sentence, the Heavenly Father settles the identity issue for Jesus. Have you ever asked the identity question? Like, who am I? Where do I belong? And if you listen to those repeated messages, the 
that the world sometimes gives us, right? Well, you're nothing more than how fast you run and how smart you are and how pretty you look on Instagram. But here, Father says to Jesus, you are my son. And just so we're clear, there are three occasions in the, in the New Testament that say that if you say yes to Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, if by faith you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, three different occasions it says that you have received the adoption as sons and daughters of God. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says it this way, John writing says to the church, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The world wants to beat you into a certain image or a certain identity. The smart one, the funny one, the winsome one, the boring one. When you become an adult, the titles change. You're the educator, the musician, the pastor, the nurse, the mathematician. But here's the reality. There is no label that you have received that is more true than this label. If you are a Christ follower, you are a child of God. Years ago when my son was a playing peewee football, you know, as the coaches were trying to learn the kids' names, they would take the helmets and on the front of the helmet on, in duct tape, put a piece of duct tape on the helmet. Some of you did this, right? And you'd write the, the student's last name on there, right? So we pulled out the helmet, put the duct tape on there, and we wrote Kuhn, K-U-H-N, our last name on there, so that the coaches would know that's who that is. That's Kuhn. That's the Kuhn kid right there. Well, on one particular November afternoon, my wife and I are sitting watching the game take place in front of us. And we're way up in the stands, and it was extremely cold. We had multiple layers on. We had a blanket. We were sitting on a blanket to cool us from the bleachers, the metal bleachers. We had a blanket pulled up tight, you know, and we're watching this game. And from way up in the bleachers, you can't see the names on the helmets. But take my word for it. Parents don't need names on the helmet. You don't, need a, you don't need a number on the jersey because you know your son, you know your daughter. You know the way they walk, the way their arms swing. And on this particular day, we're watching the football game, and I've got the blanket pulled up tight, and we're watching as this unfolds in front of us, and my son is on defense, and on one particular play, the quarterback on the opposing team says hike, and he rolls out to his left, and as he rolls out to his left, my son skates around the end and hits the hole, and he goes back there, and he tackles and wraps around that quarterback and brings that quarterback down behind the line of scrimmage. And I jump up out of there, and I said, that's my boy! It's a lot different, isn't it, than saying that's a boy. I mean, right? 
You don't want to be introduced. You don't want your parents to meet someone new and they, the new friends say, oh, who is that? And your mother or your father says, oh, that's, that's a son. We want the father and the mother to say, that's my son. You belong to me. You are part of me. on that particular football game I was more than willing to embarrass myself as I jump up and say that's my boy and some of you here wonder if God will ever stand up and say you are my child and I want you to know that is exactly what the father will do now second message you are my child second message whom I love when Jesus is being baptized, the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love. Some of us have spent time hearing about God's love. We live in a time when, when you're raised up in a, in a particular a Christian home, there's a lot of repetition. So the repetition goes something like this. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. And so we begin to think, well, of course God loves me because the song says so. Or we might say, of course God loves me. The Bible says that God is love, 1 John chapter 4. Or John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But if you're a child of God, I want you to know this that the call is to understand that God is loving us in such a way that we are not living for His love as if to try to obtain it. You and I, as children of God, get to live from His love. And there's a mound of difference. If we're living for His love, then it becomes on us to obtain it, to work hard enough, to follow all the codes, follow all the church stuff that Christian kids do. And if we do enough of those stuff, we believe that God, therefore, will crown us with His love. We work and live for His love. But children don't do that. Children have the privilege of living from God's love. Some of us have the image of God that says that God is peering over the banister, looking down on His people, looking for an opportunity to say, Gotcha! But I want you to know that that is not the posture of God. He's a caring parent who loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let me see if I can say it differently. This is one of those statements now that I want you to log in your brain. Find a neuron for this that you can stuff this truth in that it can fire on certain occasions for you. See, God loves you without any Asterisks. 
There are no disclaimers at the bottom of the page. Romans chapter 8 says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced, that Paul writes, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else, neither A's or B's or C's or D's or F's in school, that's my addition to the text, no matter how fast I run, no matter what my hair looks like, no matter how many pimples are on my face, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God never loves with asterisks. Now, up to this point, you say, yeah, that's great. I get it. Child of God, I've heard that all my life. God loves me. He has to love me. What else is God going to do? He's not God if he doesn't love. So God loves me. This is the one that explodes the mind. The final statement, as Jesus is being baptized, comes up out of the water. This is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. I, I, this staggers that three to four pound membrane between the brains, between the, the ears. It's one thing to say God loves me. It is another thing to say that God delights in me. He delights in us. He is pleased. Now, please understand that up to this point, Jesus is just starting his public ministry. He's not healed anybody yet. He's not preached a profound, penetrating parable. That hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't fed any hungry families yet. He hasn't touched any lepers. He hasn't walked on water or calmed any storms. Jesus has done nothing extravagant. And yet the Father says, you are my child. And since you are my child, I am pleased with you. I delight in you. Here's what that means. That God doesn't simply put up with you. God is never neutral about you. He delights in you. What do I have to do to get Him to delight in me? Nothing. He loves you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The God of the universe, when you walk in the room, the God of the universe grabs His guitar and says, I have a song for you. I rejoice over you. Let me sing about you. I'm amazed by you. I created you and I see all the beauty of you. I delight in you. So again, on this day, September 30th, let this message get confirmed in one of those portions in the brain, in those neurons, that there is a God in heaven, and that God says to those who say yes to Jesus, He says to them, you are my child, 
I love you and I am pleased with you. And there may be some here drowning in perfectionism, trying to please someone. You don't even know who the someone is. And that, that perfection and that pursuit to prove all those messages false is creating mounds of anxiety and guilt and it's paralyzing life and there's an inability to enjoy life because of fear of failure and the brain has indeed captured and stored and recalls every failure and it's weighing on the soul. Let these words echo through the chambers of your heart that God loves you. And nothing can separate that. What that meant for me when these words became real for me was that I had to let God re-father me. I remember when I was a high school student, your age, I was playing varsity sports. And I didn't think much of it then, but, but that dad who laughed at me when I was young kind of disappeared from life, and he didn't show up very much. And while I was playing varsity sports, my dad didn't come around. I went through three years of varsity sports, and my dad never sat in the bleachers. Never. Parent night, followed by parent night, followed by parent night, three years, I invited my dad. Dad, would you come and walk on the field with me? My dad never showed up. When I became a young adult, a few years had passed. I was in my early 20s. And I was sitting uh, alone in my living room and thinking about the fact that my dad had never been in the bleachers to cheer me on. And I began to weep thinking about that message and how that message that, that image of an absent father and him laughing and some of the critical statements he had made through the years, how that stuff was lodged and had its fangs in my soul and wouldn't let me go. And I began to weep and I said, God, God, would you please love me and refather me? And God, quietly in his special way to me, said this very simple statement. Bill, I've never missed a game. I've never missed a game. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know what you think about the messages you've received in life, but I'm here to tell you as an ambassador of God to you that the God of the universe has never missed one of your games. That indeed, you are a child of God. That He loves you and He delights in you. Let's pray together. God of the universe, how marvelous is your love. How amazing are your ways. How transforming is it to consider that we are children of God, loved by God, and that you have a song to sing over us, that you rejoice over all of us. God, I pray that in these days, as these young people emerge into adulthood and they sift through the messages of their life, that what was said today would be pressed deep into their minds 
and that you, Holy Spirit, would recall it frequently to them, who they are, their identity, who they belong to, how much you love them. Bless them, keep them safe, and encourage them. Lord, we are yours, and we live our lives with open hands. In the name of Christ, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.